0: Today in the studio, we got Pep Laja, founder of Conversion XL. Laya. Laya. I always say your name on Peep Pep Laya? Pep Laya? Pep Laya. Say it. Pep Laya. Pep Laya. Okay. We, there we go, you Europeans. So uh, Pep Laya is the founder of uh, and CEO of uh, ConversionXL, now known as CXL.com. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you about that. And it's a top name in the marketing world. In 2011, he started a blog specifically about CRO, which is Conversion Rate Optimization, you picked a very specific specialty, and you quickly grew to the most respected name of the game. I've been following your blog for so many years, I can't even remember. And you also run a software company called Copytesting.com and a bunch of others. You live in Austin most of the year and Estonia the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. I, for a long time, didn't know Estonia was a real country. I thought it was like something from Encino Man, that movie or something. <laughs> totally. And then you took me there last year, so thank you. So, um, Pep, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. So uh, let's first talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. I recently changed my own domain from copywriting course with Ks to copywriting course with Cs. You recently changed your name from conversionxl.com to Mm cxl.com. Why, and uh, what did you learn along the way?
1: Yeah, so as you said, started as ConversionXL because I wanted to to have the word conversion in the name. Mm -hmm. And conversion by itself is already long enough, so I didn't need extra letters, so XL was just short. Mm But then when we started to be more than just a blog, you know, we added a conference, Conversion Excel Live. Then we added it uh, education business, which is now my main thing, CXL Institute, mm. Conversion Excel Institute. These are like mouthfuls to say mm. and people themselves started to abbreviate. They started to say, Hey, I went to CXL, meaning ConversionXL conversion excel live the conference. Mm. And it's like, oh yeah, I, you know, I, I can see how it's difficult to say these long ass names. And so we tried to buy the domain name, cxl.com. It was owned by the Chinese. Mm -hmm. And we sent lots of inquiries, never got a response. But we just changed the logo to CXL and started to refer to ourselves as CXL anyway, even keeping the conversionxl.com domain name. Mm -hmm. And then somebody, one of my colleagues said, hey, I found this Chinese domain broker. And he instantly got us a quote for CXL.com. So here's lesson one. If the domain is owned by the Chinese, use Chinese domain brokers. Interesting. The instant they instantly got this person on the phone or whatever. I never talked to the domain owner, only through the intermediary. And so we started negotiating. At first, they wanted 100000 and uh, And we said no. And then there was like you know, six months of nothing. Ah, it's too expensive. I'm not going to go for it. But the, we ended up buying it. How much did you pay if you don't mind me asking? So in the end we paid I think it was like forty seven thousand dollars. Oh, which that's is
0: not as much as I thought.
1: Which is I think very cheap for a three letter domain
0: name. Yeah. I guess most people can't use CXL. Like that means nothing for most people. But for you, fortunately, that means something awesome. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. If it was like cat.com, that would have been like a $5 million. It's
1: so nice to now, like wherever you go, places where you need to
0: type your email address, it's so so short. You know, my first name at cxl.com. So abbreviations were uh, an interesting part of that. I mean, abbreviations were a big part of why we changed because it's called copywriting course with K. So there's already two Ks. Mm -hmm. Let's say you add conference at the end of that with the k <laughs> well there's an organization that people don't like that that's very much associated with so and, we had to kind of change that
1: and for us it's also one we wanted to get rid of the word conversion uh, because we started out from in a niche of conversion optimization mm-hmm. but we became more more than just that and then we have painted ourselves into the corner with the name conversion, conversion. in there so now we have also you know in C- at cxl institute we do all kinds of data-driven marketing stuff. So when you're coming out of your small, smaller niche into a bigger niche, you know.
0: I don't know. I'm kind of torn on the domain name change stuff and the name changes. I've been part of a bunch of different domain changes over the years. And honestly, I don't think anyone cares. Like Brian Brian, uh, uh, Brian Harris had videofruit.com. But he changed it. He And then he changed it. But I personally liked videofruit. It had like a ring to it. I know he was always like, well, let's talk about video because I was really talking about video. And I was like, mm-hmm. I know, but like somehow I don't care. So I, I don't know if it matters as much. I, I never know. I can't tell. Well,
1: you can't be if you're like lightfixtures.com and you sell plants. It's weird, you know? But what about like amazon.com? Well, it's- That doesn't mean anything. Well, that's that's the main point. The name that doesn't mean anything is the best kind of name for
0: a brand. Well, I mean, there's like a Shakespeare quote, like a rose by any other name would be just as sweet. If it's still a rose, but it's called a, a, a Bose- or, or chose or something like that would mm-hmm. be is awesome
1: well if you want to change I think the brand perception of what you're about but your name is kind of literal mm-hmm. like we're about vacuum cleaners but we also sell TVs you know it's vacuumcleaners.com you don't go buy a TV from there you know yeah,
0: my name domain is hella literal copywriting course Explains well once does, you right once you thing. get
1: into you know something else then might be a problem for you yeah
0: <laughs> so um, I did a little spying on Ahrefs shout out Tim Sulo um, it looks like it took you about a year to get back to the organic traffic levels um, for cxl.com. Uh, is actually, that true?
1: it wasn't that long. It was more like a quarter, or four months um, uh-huh. before we were already uh, beating the organic rankings before the domain name changed. And we also strategically chose a really good month to change, make the switch, uh-huh. December, because uh-huh. in in marketing size, like in e-commerce, maybe December is great. For B2B marketing education, December is when we always see traffic tank. You know, after mm. December 15th, nobody gives a shit about optimizing anything. You know, they just want presents and whatever. So it's a low traffic month for us always. Mm-hmm. So the biggest drop in traffic was in December. Mm-hmm. And so in business-wise, we, we didn't really take a hit. And you changed the domain
0: and all of the, everything just started coming back naturally. Mm-hmm. Oh. Pretty much so, yeah. Hmm. Ours did not go like that. Hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. We we thought that there was kind of like the because you can't totally control it, but uh, there there was the easy way, which is like we just change over, everything comes back, and then there's the hard way, which is change over, everything does not come back, and you have to rebuild it. So it, it's well, somewhere we, in the middle. We had like
1: consultants us. and like there was a you know strategic piece and like the SEO people were working on shit under the hood that I, I was not involved with, so uh-huh. we were not just throwing everything over.
0: There was more to it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, does the name change change morale, or do customers care? Like, does does anyone care but you?
1: Uh, I don't think nobody. People really didn't care about the name change, and you know, there are still like the old fans who still refer to us as Conversion XL. I mean, I'm sure like
0: people at Moz still get called SEO Moz, and you know, yeah, I still call you Conversion XL. That's 'cause how. if i say the name cxl to someone they're like what 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 does that mean mm-hmm. that's just random letters doesn't mean right
1: anything. right right but like a lot of brand name changes you forget what it what what something was called before like people get used to the new name and it's just since we do more things and like i i'm 100% behind the name change
0: huh i remember even going with like the sumo.com name change and stuff like that i was like yeah it's like a fun story for like a week and then you're like whatever okay is the product good or not I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about, so one interesting thing about your site, you obviously have like the education side, but you also have a big agency. Correct. Yes.
1: Yeah. In, in fact, this year, uh, this is a secret, by the way, uh, we're spinning off the agency just between you and me.
0: You and me and whoever's watching. Nice. Okay. <laughs>
1: Nobody's watching. It anyway. uh, so we're, we're spinning it off uh, end of this year under its own separate brand name. And so CXL Institute, which is the educational business,
0: it will just become CXL, and CXL will be an e-learning company. Interesting. So so you have all sorts of like irons in the fire, so to say. Mm-hmm. So you've got the SaaS product with copytesting.com, which I want to talk about. Yep. Uh, you got the agency. You've got the conferences, which I assume are on hold at on the hold, moment. On hold, yeah. Um, and then the Institute. Um, are those all the things that you're involved in, or are there more? Or? And there's a new
1: thing that we're working on. It's called ADEFT. Uh, it's a new mm-hmm. e-learning business. So after running CXL Institute for four years, learned many things that are uh, kind of uh, where where e-learning is falling short. And so basically I came up with this new idea for what e-learning might look like. And so we're building it under the name ADEFT. Uh, recently had a crowdfunding campaign for it. How did that do? So our goal was... When we looked at what it takes to build it, you know, some spreadsheets, numbers, we realized basically it takes around $250,000 for just content alone. And, you know, all all of the businesses we have are, it's bootstrapped, customer funded, basically. And while we would have the money to put it all into a deft, it's kind of limits, puts everything else in a shakier ground, like we're just... You know, taking on too much risk because every new thing might fail, mm-hmm. and so we thought about including institutional VCs, okay. but then thought also, well, not sure if we want to do that yet, mm-hmm. or if at all. Um, and it's like, wh- what if we get people to prepay? That's also validation for the whether the market wants yeah. it. And so we we raised like one hundred and ten thousand
0: dollars. Wow. Uh I had Catherine Lavery in here who does best self co and mm-hmm. she crowdfunds everything. It actually inspired me to probably do one on my own. Uh and and not that they need to crowdfund the money to get the the capital. Mm-hmm. They have that. They do it just to gauge the interest and get people excited. Totally. It's yeah. Like and crowdfunding
1: channel. is perfect for B2C, you know, for, for Catherine's stuff. When you look at, hey, what are the B2B examples on, you know, Indiegogo or Kickstarter? Zero. Really? None. <laughs> So also our crowdfunding campaign was into our own email list. We, we didn't, you know, my Twitter following and LinkedIn, like my social and our email list. We didn't even try to go to an actual portal. Um, and this was after extensive
0: um, consultation with various people. Uh, I was like, well, have you ever seen what the hustle did? Crowdfunding? No. It, so it wasn't so much crowdfunding. It's more like you be, you become an investor. I was an actual actual investor, but then they have a different class of investor. So equity crowdfunding, or yeah, where you get a little bit of equity in the company yeah, yeah, yeah. for like five hundred bucks or something. So you can mm-hmm. say you're an investor in that company. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was cool because it gives you all these like one, it gives you money. That's great. Totally. Two, it gives you all these like cheerleaders for your company because they feel part of it.
1: Well, one of my friends who runs a, a baby uh, sitters on demand SaaS company called Nano. Mm-hmm. She raised one million dollars through uh, equity crowdfunding using the Republic, I think, as the as the site. Huh. And she said that uh, by uh, and this is again between you and me. A lot of by including so many random people, you know, a lot of people uh, have false expectations. What it means to be, uh, you know, a small time investor, like. Now, random dudes are, like, emailing her about, like, hey, like, when is your next company meeting? I'm going to come sit as a, you know, like, I'm a shareholder now. Oh, geez. And, like, because she had thousands of people buy the shares, you Mm -hmm. know? Uh, And some of them have uh, also, like, hey, I want to flip them, and can I sell them on NASDAQ? And you're, like, the inbox is now flooded with these random people who just don't
0: understand how it works. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah, that could be a big downside. Yeah. Um, So... With Adept, why did you? So I'm really interested in online learning because I do that too, and it sounds like that's one of the biggest parts of your business right now. What was wrong with online learning that you currently see? Couple main problems, you know. In
1: uh, if you look at the course completion rates, and that data is public, uh, these are abysmal. You know, like global average for comp- course completion rates is like ten percent, and why is that? And the key reason is that people get busy or, uh, and that, that's number one, people get busy because at work your boss asks you, hey, did you do all these things? Not did you do that learning, you know? And, uh, and there's family obligations, all that stuff. So that's number one. Um, two, then the courses are just why, why you know, they get busy because the course is also too long. And also they, if you're not a complete noob, if you're like intermediate or you know, advanced level, you already know half of staff stuff in every single course, mm. but every course is built in a one-size-fits-all way, and so you start listening to uh, you know whatever lesson two, and you're like, oh, I know this shit, oh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> you get bored and you give up. It's like, and if it's especially if it's video, you can't skim. In a text, you can see like, oh, this bit is interesting. I haven't read this one, but the video, mm. it's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, So so those are some of the the things. Uh, So the one-size-fits-all things. People get busy. Another thing, when we learned, doing our own user research, what prompts people to take a course to begin with? You know, at CXL Mm -hmm. Institute, we have 50-plus courses, adding new ones every single month. So there's a lot to choose from. So how do you choose which course to take and what do you start? And it's almost always uh, related to task at hand. I was tasked Mm -hmm. at uh, Worked by my boss to build a landing page, or I chose to build a landing page, and like, what? How do you make a good landing page? You know, like, how do you, or how do I write good copy? So any, anyways, there's a there's a task at hand, that, mm. and they're not sure what's the best way to go about it. And they, hey, I'll go find a course. You know, also mm. the googling shit. There's an interesting McKinsey study out there that people spend almost 10 hours a week googling how to do their job.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, so imagine like one week out of a month. People just don't know how to do the job. So putting all those things together, it's like, okay, if I know all these things, what might a different kind of e-learning thing look like? And also that task at hand thing is important because people, when they have a task, let's say related to Google Analytics, it's not that, oh, I want to learn all of the Google Analytics. Mm -hmm. They want to know how to do this one thing. How do I set up event tracking in GA through GTM? Something like this, Mm -hmm. very specific. And then they're done. But now it's, oh, it's a seven-hour Google Analytics course. Like, where the hell is this one thing, you know? I know maybe all the rest already. It's on YouTube, probably. (laughs) And, like, but also, like, it's, you know, YouTube videos. is also there's a seven-minute intro and, you know, and all that BS.
0: Yeah. I I think about this a lot because I remember we all started out kind of making courses back when, like, a course online was kind of like a weird idea. Mm -hmm. Like, selling videos was, like, kind of a new thing. Video distribution kind of. YouTube kind of was cat videos that were three minutes long. Like there Mm -hmm. there was nothing else on there. Yeah. That whole ecosystem hadn't been uh, developed. Totally. Um, Also, people were selling uh, PDFs. That was super common. And you're really happy to get a PDF now and be like, what? What is this? Totally, yeah. Yeah. I mean, expensive ClickBank
1: products were like selling PDFs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I think online learning has morphed. I think it originally started with like kind of like in-person learning. I Mm -hmm. think it went to books then. You know, you could buy a book and get it and read it at home. Uh, Then on tape back in the Earl Nightingale days. Oh, yeah. Like learning on tape was a big deal. Uh, then through PDFs, articles uh, on the, the internet. Mm-hmm. Then a video started coming along. That was kind of a new way. As
1: tech got more you, you download and a easier. .MOV
0: or whatever. Oh yeah, we'll or agree. a .MPeg. <laughs> um, For sure. And then it was. Now it's kind of like through software. Like you you mm-hmm. learn through software platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think it's also moving to community. I think Facebook groups really pushed people to learn through community. Like like now what? Is, and is also like live online
1: stuff as well, you know, like Zoom and whatever.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Live stuff. So is, is, is that what a deft is? It's just putting all that stuff together or?
1: or... No, it's actually, it's, 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 um, it's catering to a very specific use case. The use case is that I want to know how to do this one very specific thing. I don't mm-hmm. want to learn Google Analytics. I want yeah. to learn how to do this one thing.
0: Is that like lynda.com?
1: Mm, Linda is still, well, LinkedIn Learning now, is still like one hour courses for the most part. Mm. And it's all very superficial, basic introduction to level, everything they Mm. have. Um, So it's more about how to do this task that takes five minutes to do. Mm. So it's like you learn for five minutes, implement in the next five minutes. It's a companion on how to do your work. You're tasked with something, I'm not sure how to do it. You look up. And so basically, instead of courses, we have tasks, how to do these one tasks. Mm. And every task, we've created a playbook, which is in a checklist format. First, you do this, step two of that, step three, bum, bum, bum. And maybe, uh, and all these playbooks are interlinked. So step three might be, hey, research your competitors. Well, how do I do that? And you click on step three, and it's its own playbooks. 10 steps, how to research your competitors. And it's like, oh, look up their ranking in AFREFs. Oh, I don't know how to do that. Click on that. There's another 10-step playbook on how to do this. So in the end, there are tens of thousands of playbooks, all built by people who, you know, experts who who do this stuff every single day.
0: So that's that's interesting. So... One of the things I always tell people is, it's like I don't think course completion rates are actually that important, and the reason is because if there's a seven-hour course on how to like add a tracking tag on Google, that's kind of just like a five-minute YouTube video or a short like WikiHow tutorial, right? So what you're doing is taking instead of like taking those seven hours of things, is truncating it. it Well,
1: I mean, there is if you're a complete noob to something, you know, like taking how to think like an analyst and all that stuff is is, it's important. You should know that. so it, you wouldn't have a seven-hour course on how to add attack. That will be a five-minute segment in the seven-hour course yeah. that teaches you everything. But most most people are not operating in a way that, hey, in two years, I'd like to be the CMO, and I'm lacking these skills, and so now I'm going to take courses to get to that level. Very few people are that
0: strategic. Most people are very tactical and you know task-based. So uh, one thing I admire how you did... I- I I've monitored all the online learning stuff in the mm. space. Also, um, you made CXL into an institute, right? Um, I haven't heard that word used much for like a course platform. Um, did that? Why do you call it that? Does it give it more cachet? Does it sound cooler? Mm. Does, why that or just in,
1: initially it was to to be a little classy because yeah. uh, we're we're kind of a highbrow brand in the sense that we're expensive and stuff is like in-depth and really detailed and, and big companies buy your stuff yeah very big companies yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so we're definitely an upmarket brand like if you want cheap crap you go to Udemy everything is 10 bucks mm-hmm. and uh, so we're not competing on price we're competing on being the best mm-hmm. uh, and so also like the way we hire instructors is like hey who is the best in the world at and then we you know build a short list and then uh to get somebody to teach a course. So we're we're expensive, let's say upmarket brand, that's the desired brand perception and the positioning we're going for. And the Institute just went with it. I also, I was considering other ways to call it. And we even had like uh, basic, uh, I think I was doing like Twitter polls and like uh, uh, doing Google consumer surveys and see like what are the f- connotations people have with this word or another. Hmm. Now, Again, we are actually moving away from the word uh, "institute." So as soon as we spin off the agency into its own new brand name, uh, CXL Institute is just going to become CXL. Hmm. Uh, And also, I like
0: CXL Institute. That's my opinion. (laughs)
1: Well, maybe you're just a really
0: past-oriented guy, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Let's see. So. I want to have a podcast episode where we just roast each other. I think that'd be fun with you.
1: I mean, I saw that roast with you and Noah did uh, yeah. at the party.
0: I just want to invite a guest, make fun of them the whole time, don't let them say anything, and then they leave. <laughs> I think that's what I want to do next. <laughs> that's, <it. laughs> that's some really interesting person. Don't let them talk. So, uh, okay, so copy testing, something near and dear to my heart. I think I, was, I wasn't one of your first beta users, but i definitely one of your first paid users. Um, I yes, even promoted and you were one this. of my
1: uh, yeah, people I interviewed before we even built it. And the I even asked product. to
0: invest in it after I used it. I was like, I like this. I want to be a part of it. But you're so popular, you don't need it. So, what copytesting.com, um, I've used it. It's basically like user testing for a landing page. So, you take a landing page, highlight areas you want people to check stuff out on, and the, the crowd that you select mm-hmm. goes and answers the questions that you have, yeah. Right? So
1: the way the framing that I think is most accurate is is uh, audience research. So it's not user testing in the sense that we're not uh, evaluating usability or how to use anything. It's how your messaging lands on people and what is the effect that your messaging, your copy has on those people. So when we're writing copy, you know, we can hire editors. We can have a you know friend have a look at it. Uh, maybe a fellow copywriter offer a critique. Uh, but in the end, the copy is designed to, the goal is to make people take action or like there's, there's some purpose to it. Mm-hmm. And you have an audience in mind. You're writing for B2B SaaS CMOs. You're writing for uh, mothers of babies You know whatever, you know? And so what are the people, the very people you're trying to sell to, when they read your copy, what do they think? What are their doubts after reading everything? Which questions are still around? And they've seen, you know, other stuff, uh, like, uh, what, why would they go with you or not, knowing like what other options are out there? So it's really, you're asking questions from your target audience
0: about your copy. It's qualitative research. Yeah, I liked it. I did a whole case study on it. So copywritingcourse.com slash copy testing or something like that, mm-hmm. you can probably find it. Um, here's something interesting. There was there was a couple things I changed on my sales page immediately after using copy testing. Um, one thing was in the very first fold of the page, I had like all these people who would buy a copywriting course and it was laid out in this really weird fashion. And you know, when you're designing a sales page, you see it like a thousand times. Totally. And it seems so, it makes sense in your mind, but other people look at it like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. And so- Everyone comment like 80% of the people were like, yo, this is a really weird formatting. I can't read it well. And when I saw that 80% of the people couldn't read it well, like there was some sort of UX problem with it, yeah. I immediately changed it. I was like, okay, clearly the crowd has spoken. Totally. So that was, that was very useful. Um, what other things like that do you commonly see with sales pages, landing pages, that are almost always wrong on people's stuff? Mm.
1: So our fastest growing... Um... Target audience is is a B two B SaaS companies, so that's mm-hmm. like we're getting the most traction with them, especially now that we're delivering B two B audiences. You know, like you're selling to product people, we can deliver product people, mm-hmm. and so with B two B SaaS products, what you often see is these big words that mean nothing at all. Buzzwords, kind oh. of, yeah. So it's like, oh, when sales and marketing meet, magic happens. <laughs> you know, that's that's like the <laughs> Ma may, some you know CRM t- you know, t- title on the website headline, and if you're the product marketer for it, like makes sense in your head, you know we're merging sales and marketing. But as a as a, just a person, what the hell does that mean? It means nothing at all, you know. So it's a lot of that. So that's a very common uh, common thing. Just the poor clarity. People don't know
0: what the hell this is. Have you ever walked around South by Southwest in in the convention and you see like all those things? They're like. Where IP addresses are magically created, to blah blah. It's all this effluvial language. And you're like, what does that even mean? Totally. Like you're looking at this banner, and I'm like, I literally do not understand what this means.
1: Exactly. So people think when it's something is like B2B or techie, somehow like there's a magical B2B people walking around. You know, like this <laughs> is this is a B2B Neville eating ice cream and B2B Neville, you know, going to the bathroom. Like Neville is still Neville. So like B2B is still human to human. People Neville like-
0: eating ice cream is. Uh, consume dairy (laughs) products in an efficient manner (laughs) with an outsourced chain. Like They would say something like that instead of like eating ice cream. Yeah, okay. So just commonly like big ass buzzwords. Um, Anything else that you notice that's pretty common? Let's see. Um... Is, is it mainly like UX stuff or just like the copy? It's
1: uh, And it's a lot. It's copy related mostly. Like, so, of course, if something is unreadable, you know, for maybe it's too small or poor color choices, mm-hmm. that also comes out. But it's also a lot of, I don't care about this. So, you know, mm. let's say you're trying to sell to somebody. In your mind, you have like seven good arguments why somebody should buy that stuff. Yeah. And then you lay it out there and and then, then. You know, we ask people to also rate how much do you care about this argument made here on a five point scale? And it's a lot of this don't care about don't this, care. <laughs> so especially if you have a long sales page and, um, you know, have a, you have a lot of content, you have a lot of messages you want to,
0: you know, all the content has to earn its pixels, right? If kind of, yeah, yeah. Pixels, like be- most
1: people skim, you know, they're not really like yeah. going, and as soon as it says something like, Something that doesn't really like, oh, yeah, that's a problem I have. Then they're like, their eyes glaze over. And
0: so, whenever we do consulting or office hours, and someone asks me to look at a page, I do what I call the caveman voice, where I look, you know, the Geico caveman, that stupid looking caveman, right? It's like, Ugh, like that. I look at the page and I just skim, Ugh, boring, stupid, I don't care. And then, like, stuff that's good stands out, and I'm like, okay, pass. Um, but that's how I look at stuff. And I think that's how most people read pages. I don't go to some B2B SaaS company and pay attention to every word they write. I don't care about them.
1: Totally. And then, I mean, people have different savviness level. So if you're a savvy, let's say I need a new uh, CRM software. Mm -hmm. You know, like I would be a category connoisseur. I have used so many CRMs. I know exactly what I want. I want, you know, these integrations. So I go to the page where I'm looking for specific things. Um, And so I am, you know, I'm not gonna be interested in the brand talk at all. I'm like very,
0: uh, let's say, transactional. Okay, so you have an agency, you're a cold-hearted European, and so you're all about the data. (laughs) That was kind of a roast joke, wasn't that funny? I guess. But then, so what about the the UX? How much time do y'all spend on UX design? I thought for you, like you'd probably have some insights, because I know in the past y'all have done these crazy eye tracking studies and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So UX design, how important is that in your world?
1: So in a nutshell, I mean, it needs to be, it needs to be good enough, but beyond that point, it matters less and less.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it, good the answer. way I see it is, uh, I mean, obviously, if there are usability issues that you know. That, that needs to be solved. But in terms of design, how good something looks, I mean, these days, I think the average standard for, it's pretty, uh, most stuff that you ship are looking pretty good. You have pretty good, you know, templates. Uh, anybody can lo- look decently good enough. Uh, and so going from zero to 80% and from uh, 80% to 90% takes the same amount of effort. So then you start questioning the ROI and like mm. if i take my design to 80% like how like it takes so much more resources to go to 90% and and beyond is that worth it and it likely is not you know and if you look at the top grossing online destinations Amazon, Amazon eBay you know like there's no design it's yeah it's it's layout. just it's good enough or even worse yeah <laughs> uh, and Craig so just. you know obviously you, if your brand is all about design, you need to look the part. Mm. You know, like Apple maybe. Mm. But also, you know, Apple is 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 airing on the other side where. So at my conference, six Live, I had uh, the conversion optimization people from Apple, mm-hmm. and I asked, "What kind of experiments do you run uh, on the Apple website?" It's like, well, we're not allowed to experiment with mu- with much. like, it's like the design leaders decided this is what it's going to be, and there's no. Opt- experimentation, you know, like you yeah. can't really
0: play with it. I mean, so that brings me up to kind of like analytics and stuff, because um, I know you deal a lot with data, data analytics, all that stuff. Do you sometimes feel yourself chasing analytics and it goes down the wrong path? Let me give you an example. Eric from Beard Brand was in here. Mm-hmm. And he was talking, about they have a, a millions of subscribers on their YouTube channels. And he's like, if we chase the analytics, and I really liked that word, what would happen is our YouTube channel would just be of people getting haircuts. Because that's what brings in the numbers. Oh yeah. But ultimately, those people generally don't buy a lot of stuff, so we have Mm -hmm. to do other videos that get less but generate revenue. Totally. I mean, you
1: need to bring the experience filter to know what's important, you know. And with qualitative research, that's especially true. So every time I ask like my audience like questions about what what do they what do they want or not want and so on, I discard most of the feedback based on yeah you know you think you want that but no. Um, or you're not ready to pay for it or you think, you know, I think, you know, so, so you need a strong filter and I think you can gain that filter only through experience, uh, to know what really matters as a, um, and also I think you, you, you develop a stronger gut feel as your experience grows. So there's still, you know, you know, hippo, you know, most important person's opinion, I think hippo has its uh, as its place because hippo what is hippo again highest paid person's opinion oh <laughs> so heard in, in in optimization world it's also always like oh, like the data says this but like hippo is just you know <laughs> like which is referred to the ceo or whoever they said, the decision maker that you know they shoot shoot the idea down and they want their own That's pet idea you know and so I think it's I used to really like make fun of hippo's uh, idiots like, the data is the king. But now, having more experience under my own belt, I'm, like, regularly, like, filtering the data. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, and I have an understanding of the customer, the the competitive land, landscape, and I have also a product vision where we want to go and, and how we fit in and, you know, the differentiation and all that stuff. So I, I think there's there's merit to having... A,
0: synthesis of, of data and and your gut feeling basically. Interesting. Uh, I have a quick hippo story. I, one, I love that term, I've never heard it, that's awesome. Hippo, when in college I got my first contract with a big company to do SEO for them. Mm. And I also ended up running their uh, Google AdWords also. And I did a thing where overnight I saved them roughly 250000 or $300,000 a year. They were doing an AdWords for the term business, just business. Oh, nice. Yeah, and they were, they were doing events and such. And uh, there was a 0% conversion and 100% bounce rate on the keyword. And I was like, I'm going to turn that off. And you just saved $250-ish, $1,000 because you got no leads from that at all. And the guy came. He was like, what did you do? Where where'd all our traffic go? I'm like, you're welcome that yeah. you're saving all this money. He's like, my boss is going to have my ass. And it, that's when I realized, because I never worked for a big company before, that the guy who employed me has to go into a, a weekly meeting and show a slide, that's going a chart that's going up and to the right. Totally. to his boss so traffic so I remember so I got in this argument with him about like well I'm saving you so much money this is good and he just wanted that traffic back and I realized he just needs to show traffic is going up so I bought them some dumb keyword for like two cents a click like totally. some random and they were just happy with like that stat and I was like that was a real educational experience on how a big company
1: yeah works. so that, that's that's an example where where this is stupid hippo you know like <laughs> I duly truly believe in dictatorships. But uh, if you have a benevolent dictator, mm-hmm. you know, not a tyrant, because mm-hmm. uh, you get get so much, uh, you know, done efficiently. Mm-hmm. And in in the same vein, you know, like data versus opinion. If the the guy with opinions is not experienced, is just st- as stupid conspiracy theories or whatever, whatever, then data should um, should prevail. So it's hard to find that um, find that balance. I guess. Uh, I mean, right. I used to be all about data, but. I stopped being a hands-on optimizer like three three years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm more in the CEO role these days. Uh, and I haven't done any consulting four years or something.
0: Oh, I still do it every Tuesday just to keep sharp. I like it. Good for you.
1: Yeah, it's fun. I, if I don't have to talk to any consulting client ever again,
0: I won't miss it. <laughs> but I I, di- I dictate the way that everything goes down. It's only on video. Uh, they're not allowed to email me before or after, it's and they're basically. not allowed to speak back. Yeah, exactly. I get, <laughs> Just roast them for I get an hour. to hit them. Yeah, no. Normally, they're actually really cool. I actually, I feel like I learn a lot totally from them. I mean, I guess uh, at the level you're at, it's kind of. To I the point love. We can't do it anymore, I mean, but.
1: consulting is a career. If you, as a young person, want the biggest increase growth in your skills, yeah. Going to in consulting, working for an agency where you see the kitchen side of so many businesses, also learn to deal with relate, you know, managing relationships. It's killer learning. It's just, it's, it's so important. I just did it for more than ten years, and I just, uh, I'm just done with it. Huh? I
0: have new challenges. So let's say, okay. So getting people into the business. Now you originally, I imagine, started with just content marketing because you were blogging, and that's how that's how I came to know of you originally. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I was. It was just me and the and the blog. There was no business. And no. that
0: was so. It was just a block. There was no real exactly. Point it was to just
1: it. me because, like, I had a failed startup before I launched conversion Excel. I had a what's kind of like, kind of like what Teachable is today, uh-huh. SaaS platform to build your own courses. Oh, I don't know, ahead of its time. Huh. And it, it failed, and so after it failed, I told myself, you know, it failed because you know uh, I had no name recognition, no audience, no money to buy the audience. So for my next business, I'll. I'll build an audience first and figure out what to sell them and then I started conversion excel I just started producing content and building an audience so and, and,
0: and so all your business just started coming from that exactly right is that how you would start it today uh, yeah
1: so today you wouldn't be able to rely on just blogging especially because the way google works the backlinks I mean the old guard the you know uh, they have all the backlinks and there's no way for you to ever outrank them I think if you start a marketing blog today, it needs to be, I don't even know what needs to happen. So you would get more backlinks than, uh, you know, HubSpot, or, you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's just uphill battle. But uh, you can definitely then, you know, do all the other media available to you, social media, YouTube, podcasting, you know. So audience building, I think, would still be the way to go um, for for most businesses that don't have
0: that much money. so with content marketing, here's one interesting thing I've had, because obviously with copywriters, everyone's like, can you send me a copywriter? But I always like, wait, 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 let's unpack what you just asked me. What you're really asking me is, can you, Can I get you someone who's going to write content that gets you on the first page of Google? Mm. That's what they're asking, right, mm. in my experience. But here's the thing. It's really hard to find that person that's good at all these things, especially the writing part. Um, have you ever seen a company that really crushes content marketing? where the founder was not good at it. So for example, there's like AppSumo, but Noah was good at making content far mm. before AppSumo. Uh, the Hustle, Sam's really good at making content. HubSpot, Darmesh was really good at making content. Uh, so they crush content marketing because the founders were good at it. Do you know any examples where the founders or original cast of Crew was not good at it and then just killed it? Because I kind of struggle to think of any.
1: Uh, nothing immediately pops into my head like Intercom also the founders were they were good prolific writers about product Uh, same with Drift like David Jason
0: Freed was great
1: yeah so are I think these are like A CEOs who get marketing and B you know are good writers Uh, and I think you know If you're a founder, you need to be kind of a good communicator because like, the vision and all Mm -hmm. that stuff, you need to be creative. And I think writing is just a
0: a channel for it, Mm -hmm. Uh, for sure, yeah. So um, you have a concept that I heard on Ross Hudgens' podcast, Mm -hmm. uh, who I also had in here. Um, You said a lot of content goes into the sea of sameness. Right. I don't know if you invented that word, but that's a good word. Um, Did not invent, unfortunately what what do you mean by the sea of sameness? Like what happens and how do you avoid it? Well, let's
1: say I'm starting a new uh, copywriting blog tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, you know, the obvious stuff is like, oh, I should write blog post on how to write a good subject line and how to write a good headline. It's been written to death. Mm-hmm. There's literally nothing new to add to the conversation, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're a true original thinker, which might be possible, but it's very hard to be a truly original thinker there. Very few people around like that in mm-hmm. the world like I'm not one of them uh, so so you can't do that so that but that's the first instinct they go to AFREFs or whatever SEM rush look at the keyword volume oh how to write a good headline that's what people are searching for mm-hmm. let's write a blog post just like that but nobody gives a shit because it's been written to death you will never outrank who is already there and all and all that stuff so the better way is to I think today would be to innovate with the format, would be to innovate with uh, like, just do something that hasn't been done yet. Mm-hmm. So uh, one example I like is guys uh, who have um, growth.design. Mm-hmm. So they do basically this growth case studies where instead of a blog post, They have like basically, it's kind of like a web web slide deck where you click next and then they do teardowns of how Uber got big or whatever case that is, growth case studies. And you click through and there's animations and it's like custom designs and like serious effort goes in there. Uh, You know, I think he, on Twitter, the guy told me like 40 hours goes into like one, producing one or something. However, if you look at their, you know, backlink profile, they are earning all the backlinks because it stands out. Mm. And if content is hard to produce, that is your moat, because most people out there will are not ready to put in that kind of work and resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other examples like this, where you come in with with content that others haven't seen before, you earn all the backlinks, and once you have enough backlinks, now you can start writing about how to write a good subject line, because you can actually compete in the Google
0: rankings with, with your newly gained backlinks. Mm. One interesting thing was, whatever we changed the domain about a month-ish ago, we lost mm-hmm. a lot of our SEO rankings, right? So we lost a lot of email signups, but the funny thing was, our revenue wasn't really impacted at all. So a lot of the people coming for SEO were coming for some of those beginner articles, Oh yeah, and some of the like, uh, Insert copywriting examples like those types of things. Totally, those people d- those definitely got links. So we liked that part. It turns out like the customer acquisition of it was not that good though. On on some of those. Me things. I
1: mean, I have seen it time and again for CXL blog, and you know we do pretty well. We, we're like I think two hundred fifty thousand a month uh, uh, traffic wise, and um, you know a lot of it is this top of the funnel. You know how to do X Y Z content. Yeah. And I've seen many of my own CRO and content people uh, on my staff over the years. And the first instinct for any marketer that comes on is like, oh yeah, let's put a call to action in one of these blog posts and send them to this page where they can then buy shit. Mm-hmm. You know, especially like our agency retainers are like starting from 15K a month. So like minimum contracts, like $120,000. Mm-hmm. How to write a good headline, th- click through $220,000 commitment doesn't happen, you know. The world, yeah. <laughs> is, the world does not work that way. So uh, most of the um, top of the funnel, basic intro level content brings you traffic because most people are beginners. Uh, but those are the people who are not in
0: charge of budgets. Yeah, Ross Ross Hudgens once again talked about that with his tiny little YouTube channel, which is great. That's such a good YouTube channel, but has like under 3K subscribers. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, we were going to go down the road of like best ways to improve your SEO in 2020. The problem is those people don't drop $300,000 a month on his agency. Totally. Right? So the, the the director of L'Oreal is not looking up like those types of things. Exactly. Right. exactly
1: right. Exactly yeah. right. So there's less competition. Uh, also in the, let's say, advanced level content So, or, you know, I don't know what the top five problems are for the L'Oreal CMO, but if you can create a YouTube channel to catering, you know, you know, do cosmetics, perfume company CMOs, I'm sure you'll make way more money than any beginner level content.
0: Yeah. Um, That's a good point. So have you all started focusing more on social... YouTube, Instagram or anything like that with some of your content or not really. So,
1: I mean, we we have we have our channels and we have a uh, company Instagram handle and all that stuff, but it's it's not really doing anything business-wise and and my thinking of social media right now is that if you have the brand handle, this is like the old school press releases. This is company announcements. Uh, yet, the, the way you play the social media game is through personalities, people who work at the company. Mm. So, you know, Noah has his own YouTube channel, it's not that
0: AppSumo presents or, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not Sumo Link's uh, you know, yeah. channel. And his channel does better than the AppSumo channel because it's a brand personality. And exactly. Personality. And, you
1: know, we can look at uh, Dave Gerthardt is a great example, you know, like his company, the company he works at, Privy. I don't even know if they have a hand. I'm sure they do have company uh-huh. official handles also <laughs> saying that we released these new f- features or whatever, but nobody gives a shit. They want the real people behind the brand. And, and this is an emerging trend in B2B Ooh. SaaS where everybody in the marketing growth team has to have their social, they need to be active on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on whatever channels make sense for them. Mm -hmm. And then that lifts the brand. So social media marketing is done through people.
0: Interesting. Like for Ahrefs News, I don't follow the Ahrefs accounts or anything like that. I follow Tim Sulo. Exactly. Right? On his personal account. Not all the other, I don't want to listen to their stuff for some reason. Exactly right.
1: And then, I mean, those personal brands is also what lifts the brand. Like So Rand Fishkin has the new company, Spark Toro, we would not even know that SparkToro exists were it not, you know, brand,
0: you mm. know. Interesting. Um, I like that, that it's about social media is about the people behind it, not the actual company. That's a great way to think. It. So I guess like if a, someone's like thinking about making a company Twitter, it's probably best to have one of the employees or them.
1: Exactly. You want to register the handles and you know post official announcements, sure, because you don't want somebody to hijack your brand. True. But like also in my case like my following on social channels is like 10x at least over the official channels you know.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't follow conversion XL. I would follow you. Yeah, exactly. That's a very yeah. interesting point. Also the official channels this is fucking boring. Mine
1: uh, also like the, the official CXL Twitter channel they just post new More CRO post. shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, read <laughs>
0: this content, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Um, does running an agency suck?
1: No, it's 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 depends on what you like, right? As a as a person, it's it's like growing any other company. Uh, the 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 what's different in running the agency compared to let's say a software company is, agency is more people heavy because even if you don't charge by the hour, which you shouldn't, um, you're essentially still trading time for money. Mm-hmm. You know, however you package it, the value based pricing and so on. So it's very people-heavy. A lot of people means that eventually there's drama, there's conflict, mm. uh, there's training uh, processes, there's you know, allegations. Uh, there's a most people most problems at a company are people problems, you mm. know, and obviously margin problems because people are expensive, and if you have a couple of bad months, you know, then you know might wipe out your cash reserves and then you know problems. So. So, there are some unique challenges to it. Uh, I mean, I loved growing an agency. It was fun and fascinating. Um, I just, as I said earlier, I just personally got tired of it. I was looking for an out, and my out was starting a, a, a new company and say, <laughs> hey guys, I just have some bis- important stuff to take care of over here. So, you're good, right? See ya.
0: Do this. You got a thing. Nope. Still there. There you go. Okay. All right, thank you. <laughs> I thank just you. saved you from a ton of embarrassment. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, so with the, the the Estonia thing, so you're originally from Estonia. Correct. In case people can't tell, although I'm, I'm sure no one knows what an Estonian accent is like. Like I said, I thought your country was fake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's because I'm stupid. But why Estonia? Like, why why do you have so many employees in Estonia? Um, bum, bum, bum. why? So
1: a, I am from there. So. That's the key reason. Um, people are equally smart everywhere around the world. They cost less in some places because the um, cost of living is lower. So the cost difference between Estonian and American employees, you know, thirty percent probably, mm-hmm. which is a, you know, at that times twenty people already, you know, is is significant. So so that that's mainly there, and also like my two business partners are also Estonians, they are in Estonia. And so my first office, first team that I set up was in Estonia, because then we also had the structural cost advantage, Uh, you know, went after American clients, could deliver the same level job for cheaper, because, you know, when you're just getting started, you're often cheaper than the big guys, you Mm -hmm. know. And everyone speaks
0: pretty good English, right? Totally, Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I feel like everyone spoke perfect English there um let's talk about a totally different subject uh happiness and i want to ask you because you're european you might have a different view um you also do something i like to do i like to spend time in other cities for a while so Mm -hmm. you spend most of your time in austin and then i guess half or some of your time in estonia typically summer yeah summers Mm -hmm. um what do you get out of that going back and forth
1: well i am from estonia so, you know, there's family, there's friends, uh, all that stuff. I also have kids, I have two kids. Mm. Uh, they're bilingual. I only speak Estonian to my kids. Mm. And, uh, and so it's also important that uh, um, we're raising them as you know, you're from both places, and you can't be from both places if you don't go there, you know. Mm. So every, every summer of their life they've spent there. Um, this uh, f- fall, they also went to Estonian schools oh. uh, for one quarter. Because uh, you know in Texas due to COVID there was no in-person school, and in Estonia the, the COVID was you know very low. Mm-hmm. Um, all th- so that that's the that's the key reason. So it's it has to do with my roots. Uh, also in Estonia uh, I have a cabin in the woods, so I live in a log house in the forest <laughs> of South Estonia. So it's a contrast to the city life in Austin. So I'm there, breeding with the trees, you know
0: and and does that make you happy when you're there
1: totally and every summer it's the same thing i could- i i feel like I'm totally fine being there tending to the trees and you know chopping logs and uh I could also you know never go back to the tech and business um of course i'm I'm sure I'd get bored in no time uh you but i I feel the like there's a s there's a there's a frequency in there you know there's it's a slower place and also calms down my my own brain and uh, after my summer retreat or pilgrimage as i call it i i go back to work then uh, i feel you know so much extra amp in me like
0: ready to go do you feel a little bit out of the loop when you're out there you're chopping a log and you don't have wi-fi do you feel like everyone's passing you by Uh, not passing by
1: but i do feel out of the loop uh but also it's like my level of caring also drops. So I know I'm out of the uh. loop, but I don't care about it. <laughs> so I do need to rely and trust other people more to mm-hmm. do their thing. And then it's been my experience that without me, the company is just doing fine holding steady. So the 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 value that I bring to the company, I am a starter, I'm a I'm a creative guy, I have so many ideas and I'm like, screw it, let's do it, you know, the Brenton style. So I bring a lot of that, and without me, that is, like, missing. Mm -hmm. But, like, what's already there, they can maintain it and keep it steady real good.
0: What do you think the the purpose of life is to do?
1: You know, recently there was the Day of All Souls. And so uh, I'm a a big, uh, mm, let's say, traditions guy. Mm -hmm. So I put the photos of uh, me and my wife. We put the photos of our... uh, ancestors out there for kids to see and Mm. and you know we're thinking about my mom and dad who are both past uh grandparents and and then I was thinking like my grandparents were just super hard workers like they lived a very you know long life and until you know even in the late 80s like chipping away at the garden and like doing something and now you know 20 years after they died like what was the point of that and then I think, like you find meaning through work. Mm-hmm. It's not that there was a legacy that remained of them, like the trees that they planted. You know, it's some somebody else's house now. You know, mm. uh, so so I, I so I think um, looking l- reflecting on that is like you need to be happy. You need to do things that give you joy, and you find meaning through work. So now you know you and me. Um, you know where you think about the maslow hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. you know we don't have shelter and food and those issues you know like maybe you do uh. <laughs> i live in the studio yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so so the way i think of myself i'm 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 only operating on the, on the tip of the pyramid which is the self actualization mm-hmm. like that's the only concern i have for myself i'm i'm like i have everything i need you know, I have a house, I have, a, you know, a car, I have children, I have a lovely wife, I have the you know, best job in the world. I have everything. So it's all about like, what, what can, what else can I achieve with my potential? So I'm working on things that are interesting for me and I'm creating goals that are just made up just for the heck of it, like. Decided to win at capitalism for whatever
0: reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, well, I also think you routinely put yourself back down on higher Maslow's hierarchy of needs when you're out in the cabin. I imagine your danger level goes up,
1: you have to be a little
0: bit more reliant on yourself, you have to chop wood. I mean, there is,
1: I mean, it's not like a survival issue. I mean, I still have money and I can buy stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um So it's just, it's just, it's still a conscious choice that
0: I I choose to chop the tree. I could pay a guy, you know?
1: Yeah. It's just fun. It's just fun. Yeah. It's just the change of pace. I remember
0: hearing an Earl Nightingale story. He was talking to a CEO who tried to optimize everything in his life and this was back in the 60s. So he hired a secretary to type things, someone to mail stuff, someone to dry clean his clothes, cook, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And he said he was actually less effective and just not as happy. When everything was done for him, mm-hmm. so he was like, "I have to do some stuff myself to feel like a human." Right, right, right. Like right. Occasionally, I have to take a bag of garbage outside.
1: For sure, yeah. yeah. I think it's like you—you you decide what is interesting for you, and uh, you know you optimize your life in a way that. <laughs> <It's> easy there. <laughs> we'll leave that in. You optimize. <laughs> uh, you optimize your life in a way that you you do a minimal amount of shit that you don't want to do or you you're not good at, and like in my job as a CEO and a founder and like at CXL, we're like some 40 people. Mm-hmm. Like most of the stuff that I work on, I truly enjoy. Some stuff is necessary evil that I don't enjoy. Like I, I don't enjoy spending too much time in spreadsheets, but like I have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like any all the operations stuff, that, I have a head of operations, but still I'm involved operationally. I don't enjoy recruiting, but all the key hires, I have to be involved, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so there there are things that I you have to do. Also managing people. I am not a great natural manager. I'm more like a, say a visionary. Let's go build it type of guy. Mm. But you know, if you're you know a leader at a company, you manage people. You know, it's it's inevitable. So you need to be, I think, you know, like decently good at most things and like really great at some things. You can't
0: horribly suck at some <laughs> things, at 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 certain
1: level. You know. So,
0: well, that's great advice. Uh, I think that's a great spot to end over here. Pep, thanks for being on the show. And if people want to follow you, sign up for your stuff, follow you, buy your stuff, where do they find you?
1: Uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. You know, follow me, post every day. Pep Laya. Pep Laya. Or P
0: E E P L A J A. Correct. Yeah. That's a little confusing, especially for me. Awesome. Uh, CXL.com. CXL.com. Copy-testing.com. copytesting.com. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Pep, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers hey it's neville here i want to tell you quickly about the copywriting course yeah this is our paid product so what it is is of course it's a course about teaching you about email copywriting all that kind of stuff autoresponders blog posts content marketing social media all that kind of stuff is included of course but the thing that we've done that's really really cool is we actually make it very very interactive in fact more people come in for the community than the course alone You can find a lot of free stuff online nowadays, but what you can't get is actual help from working professional copywriters with very proven track records. So let's say you have a blog post that you want to say, "Um, I want this to be the best blog post ever. How do I do it? Well, you're just sitting there in your room typing by yourself. What do you do? So members of the copywriting course can go use our little tool to submit their blog posts and it shows up on our little forum. Myself and other copywriters will go in there and give you feedback. A lot of times we'll rewrite entire sections. A lot of times we'll mock it up in a different way. A lot of times we'll give you feedback on what you should do, what you cannot do, some best practices and ways to make it even better. Even people from our community will often just pitch in and be like, hey, I have a blog post like this and I did something like this and it worked really, really well. So you get feedback from a wide variety of people and sometimes our opinions differ. Sometimes our opinions are the same. But the thing is you get to write with a group of people. So you get a review group to write with instead of just writing in a silo by yourself. This means your content becomes much better. Also, let's say you have a sales page where you sell something. It could be an e-commerce product, a digital product, whatever. What if you're like, hmm, it's converting at 1%. Can I get it to 5%? Well, how do you do that? Because see, you have seen that page so many times. You start like being inside the box. You don't know what is good on the page and what is bad on the page anymore. So use our little tool, You upload it, and it goes into our members area. And then myself, other copywriters, take a look at it, even the community. And we'll often rewrite whole parts again, maybe mock up some images that you can use, and then we'll make the page convert better. And then you can report back how it's doing, and then we can make it even better. So it's an iterative process you can keep going on. Some of our members have forum pages that are 10 plus pages long because they've just iterated so many times and we keep helping and helping and helping them. Also, let's say that you do want to learn about how to make an autoresponder or something like that for your business. Well, we have whole sections and courses in there that you can learn from on your own time and they're interactive, meaning you can post your questions or post your autoresponder. and We can help you in real time with it. Another thing about the members area, live calls. That's right. Instead of just talking to a little black box on your computer, you actually get to talk to us on Zoom office hours. So every other week, every week. Sometimes we actually have office hours where you can just join and ask a question and actually get us to review your copy on the spot. People use us to review copy. They get advice. They get general freelancing advice. Sometimes a lot of business owners will say, Hey, I got this page and it sells a lot, but how can we make it sell more? And we go through it. Another common thing is people ask for pricing advice. They're like, Hey, I've been selling this for $50 for a long time, but I want to increase the price. How do I do it? So we'll go through all those ways and we'll get input from other people on the call as well as other professional copywriters as well as myself. So I really do hope you join the copywriting course. I think it's a fantastic investment. We always try to make people 10X their money. That means if you spend money with us, we wanna make sure that we give you advice and changes that result in about 10X your investment. That way, you're not really spending money, you're investing it in something. And that is our goal with everyone who joins. So hope you join the copywriting course and I will talk to you inside.